Good morning, Wisconsin. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Come give us your thoughts on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Thursday show. Yes, I am the host of this program. And a great guest, first half hour. Great guest throughout the show today. Joining me in studio, my friend, retired Milwaukee County Judge Mary Kuhn-Mensch. Good morning. Good morning. And a special guest. Oh, which really? Is, it's a really, real treat. Really a, 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 a fun person to talk to on a lot of different things. Uh, an expert, uh, certainly on, on the legal system of this country. Uh, former Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Janine Geske joins us as well. Good morning. Good morning. Good I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you, Justice, because I, I we have we have some specific things we're to, we're gonna talk about cases, but did, I'll start with you. Do you ever think that in the year 2024, so much of our election would be tied into legal questions? Because that's kind of where we're going this year. No, it it really is a surprise. I mean, historically, once in a while, an election issue would come up, but it, it appears that a great number of the cases going to the Supreme Court. Um, and actually the U.S. Supreme Court as well, but particularly the Wisconsin Supreme Court, are involving election-related issues, whether it's voting or how to proceed, and of course the redistricting case. And Mary, same question for you. Yeah, I, you know, nothing surprises me anymore, though, because, uh, you know, uh, Janine can speak to this as well when you're a trial court judge, and of course she then went up to the Supreme Court, but uh, you, you get used to seeing a variety of interesting legal questions, but... Uh, this year in particular, um, I'm amazed at the amount of uh, questions surrounding election law. And a lot of us that have been even on the bench a long time have had to really study up and learn very quickly about some of the nuances of election law. So I'm going to ask uh, Justice Geske this question, and, and you too as well, uh, Judge. Um, I know a lot, of, a lot of the time you spent getting ready for this program is, is looking at the, the ballot access question and the question of immunity let's start with ballot access a lot of the commentators across this country and in the world for that matter they happen to think that this is a slam dunk that he will be put back on the ballot in places like colorado which is where the case originated um your thoughts justice Geski, on where that case sits today and where it's going to go well, uh, it, it, obviously, uh, people know that, that the Colorado Supreme Court held that um, pre past President Trump could not be on the ballot, um, that he engaged in an insurrection. And there is a provision in the U.S. Constitution that someone cannot hold office if they are um, have been convicted of or uh, insurrection. Um, and so I listened to the arguments last week. There were two and a half hours of arguments before the U.S. Supreme Court. And the real issue before the court is not whether President um, Trump engaged in this behavior, but whether the, the Constitution either allows each state to make that determination or whether that's a determination for the U.S. Supreme Court um, and, and whether states are not allowed to do that. And it's an interesting argument. I have to say I, I came to the same conclusion that a lot of commentators did, that um, I believe strongly that President Trump's going to win that case, that they are going in some manner or another hold that Colorado did not have the authority to do that. You know, when you look at the the language, the actual language, it's pretty vague, right? I mean, there's a, there's a talk about a qualification of, of an officer of the United States, right? There's some questions about right. whether the president is an officer or not. What do we make of that? I, I well, think... It, there's a, 
Go ahead, Janine. Go ahead, Mary. Well, I, I was uh, going to say, gonna... go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the challenge is having one person here and one on the phone. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, All right, go ahead, you go. All right. What I was going to say, uh, Justice, is that also the, the way that they framed the issue, that is the court, um, and you know this from your time on this on this uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court, you can look at issues very narrowly or you can answer some of the broader, more ancillary. So it depends on what it is that you're, you decide you, you're comfortable as a group uh, uh, deciding and in this case, I absolutely agree with you. What they they looked at it in a way that made uh, the should each individual state have the right to make these kinds of determinations for their own elections, and really in in doing that, my opinion was they get out from underneath having to make any of the issues about did he engage in insurrection? What is insurrection? Do you have to be convicted of it? Is he an officer or isn't he? I think they found a lot of off ramps and what, where they ended up was let's just look at this as a, a in a practical way. And a lot of the argument, uh, even the, the, the comments and the questions that the various justices were posing all centered around the issue that you've uh, highlighted as well, which is really more of a state's rights. How would this uh, as a practical matter play out when you have 50 different states determining uh, what uh, that uh, Article 3 of uh, the 14th Amendment really mean, and how do you apply it as it relates to in, uh, individual states' uh, elections? Justice Geske? Yeah, no, I, I agree with, with the judge, the learned judge, Mary Kunrich. Um, I, the, the, another argument that was made is that the Constitution provides that such a candidate cannot hold office um, so they argued that it doesn't say you can't be on the ballot, that you can't be sworn in, which, of course, would be really chaotic if you elected somebody. And then before they're sworn in, courts started deciding they should have been on the ballot. But I, I, I agree that there are a lot of different arguments that were made. And ultimately, the court was very concerned, I think, about not creating chaos. Now, that's not supposed to be the standard. But I think the majority of the court was thinking this is this is an issue that ought to be decided at the U.S. Supreme Court level or the federal court level and not in state courts. If they decide that Donald Trump has should have access in, in Colorado, does that make the other states who are questioning that access, does that make that point moot? If, if that's the grounds they decided on, it does make it moot. I mean, if there are other grounds, you could argue that there's a different record or things happen differently. But if they just hold that this is not a state issue, um, that's going to be the end of it um, for every, all the states. I agree, and I think that's why they uh, narrowed the issue down to that, because it's applicable to all the states. Their reasoning uh, applies to all the states, that you cannot have... Uh, we're the United States of America, and on uh, issues of ballot access, which is a federal question, and, uh, and the U.S. Constitution applies and takes priority, uh, even over states' uh, constitutions, uh, they ought to have the final say. So I think that's really why they couched it the way they did. Judge Mary Kuhnmensch, former justice from the Wisconsin Supreme Court, Janine Geske. We'll take a break here. After the break, another big question, presidential immunity. What will the courts decide? We'll discuss with our two experts after this. Great guests on this Thursday edition. Retired Mulkey County Judge Mary Kuhn mentioned studio and on the phone, Tri-County Contracting Hotline, former Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Janine Geske. I'll start with you, uh, Mary. Um, the president has asked the Supreme Court for immunity, made arguments to that, uh, that effect, basically saying if, if you don't give a president immunity, I'm, I'm giving you the layperson's version of this, obviously. <laughs> um, you handcuff a president. 
They are, they would be literally afraid to make decisions uh, that they need to make in the course of a president's duties. You buy that? No, and I, I don't think I think this is a, an easier, far easier question for the United States Supreme Court to address. Uh, and, and sometimes the simplest uh, layperson uh, response is the best, and that is. Think about uh, everyone out there listening the last 250 years. This is the first time that a president has found the need to to ask that question and to have it go up to the Supreme Court. Um, And there have been um, many, many uh, uh, presidents uh, dealing with uh, significant uh, issues in their respective presidencies where they never had to worry about whether or not what they were doing in or out of office was going to rise to the level of uh, their needing uh, immunity from criminal prosecution. So I think the proof is in the pudding. This is the first time in our history, our nation's history, that it's uh, that it's come up for good reason. Uh, the the president has been the former president Trump has been charged with some significant uh, violations of uh, both federal uh, and election law, and uh, those uh, merit being heard in a court with a determination by either a judge or a jury. And that's how the process is supposed to work along with the other fundamental principle of our criminal justice system, which is no one is above the law, including our presidents. Uh, Justice Gessie, same question with a twist. The, the the former president, away from the courts, has sort of leaned on the justices that he appointed onto the Supreme Court to sort of, uh, again, layperson's term, do him a favor. Your thoughts on immunity and also that extra little twist to it? Well, the issue on immunity, first of all, I'd like to explain to people that what's in front of the court right now on immunity is whether or not the court is going to issue a stay, that is, prevent the underlying trial to go forward, um, the Georgia case. And um, in order for that to happen, there have to be five justices who say that there's a strong probability of of um, President Trump prevailing in this case. Um, And the other part of the issue then is, of course, whether the court, what the court believes they're going to do. I think I agree with Mary that the um, the issues are pretty clear. I, the, President Trump is trying to argue that if he hired, he got a Navy SEAL to kill, kill an opponent, that he would have immunity unless he'd been impeached. I don't think that argument's going anywhere. So then the question is, does the court even want to take this case um, when it, it probably will simply affirm the Court of Appeals? Justice Chief Justice Roberts and others have been deeply concerned about the court being painted as a partisan group. And, of course, President Trump doesn't help it any when he starts putting pressure on people he's appointed. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but, but my guess is that they're going to not take the case, um, in which case the trial will go forward, and, and because the Court of Appeals opinion was very strong. It was unanimous. It was clear law. And there really is nothing more for the court to say. I would agree with that. And uh, I, I would also add that there are, you know, four avenues the court could take, uh, Justice Gesky. And my view is uh, only one of those four is, is favorable uh, to uh, former President Trump. And, uh, and, and the likelihood of, of this court, uh, even this divided court, uh, reaching that fourth one is, is not likely. And that would be that they do issue the stay. And that they take the case and that they take, you know, three to six months uh, to uh, all the way up to the election in November to make a decision. That is highly unlikely, in my opinion, and I think you agree. Uh, I think it's more likely that they uh, do one of two things, which uh, both inure to the prosecution's 
uh, and to our benefit, really, to have these matters resolved sooner rather than later as voters. And that is, number one, don't take it. You think that the, what the third district did was right on all levels, and there's no need for us. They got it right. There's no need for us to take this up uh, and no need to issue a stay. The other is they do take it, but they don't issue a stay. They let it go back down to the trial court and continue while they uh, make a final decision for themselves, which will also, I think, confirm what the 3rd District did. One more quick break here. We're joined by Justice Janine Geske and, of course, uh, retired Milwaukee County Judge uh, Mary Kuhnmanch. After the break, the question, which we sort of alluded to with the previous question, judicial ethics and the questions about the justices themselves, things they have done, things that have been given to them, and how that factors into all of this. We'll discuss that with our guests, our great guests, on WTMJ Now after this. More of WTMJ Now after this. Wake up with me. Hey, it's WTMJ's Greg Matzik. Tune in every Monday and Friday at 8.15 for Matzik's Morning Minute during Wisconsin's Morning News. Everything you need to know about all your favorite Wisconsin teams in just 60 seconds. Picked up by Lillard. Lobs to Giannis, who fucks it down on the alley-oop. Every Monday and Friday at 8.15 during Wisconsin's Morning News. Coaching in the arena and, and your jerseys hanging above you, I can turn to the players and say, guys, I swear to God I play basketball. Just look up. Sponsored by Holiday Automotive in Fond du Lac. Welcome to our Everyday Health feature brought to you by the Freighter to the Medical College of Wisconsin Health Network. Heart disease remains the leading cause of death for men and women in the United States. Fortunately, there are steps you can take to reduce your risk. Here to talk about heart and vascular conditions and treatment options is Dr. Stefano Skena a cardiothoracic surgeon from the nationally recognized Fredericton MCW Heart Team. Thank you so much for being with us, doctor. Thank you for inviting me. Let's start with this. What are common risk factors for heart disease? Risk factors include those that can not be controlled by patients, such as a strong family history of cardiovascular disease, and then factors that can be managed by either through medications or appropriate changing lifestyle, like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, lack of exercise, poor diet, history of smoking, including vaping, and or heavy alcohol consumption, and last but not least, advanced age. When should someone see a cardiologist? How do they know? Well, a cardiologist should be seen upon recommendation provided by a primary care physician. If you have the risk factors mentioned above, including the strong family history or a suspicion that a heart condition might be ongoing, the cardiologists have a specialty training not only in advising but also in treating diseases of the heart. Dr. Stefano Skena is with us. What heart conditions does your team treat? We are fortunate to work in a quaternary center here at Fruderton Medical College of Wisconsin, so we do treat all heart conditions from common to complex, stemming from coronary artery disease, heart valve disease affecting any type of valve, aortic disease, heart failure, and last but not least, the most common arrhythmias such as atrial fibrillation. Dr. Stefano Skena, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Find a doctor who's right for you by visiting freighter.com slash heart. It's WTMJ now. Powerhouse, powerhouse guest this uh, half hour, 927 of WTMJ. Only got about three minutes with the, with the justices and judge, but um, I'll start with you, Justice Geske. Um, lots of conversation, lots of uh debate over over the uh, the Clarence Thomas question. There's other questions about some of the other justices on the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, getting favors, getting gifts, getting trips, and whether the 
the justice should recuse himself from some cases that that are coming in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Your thoughts on that specific question, but also judicial ethics in general. I mean, it seems like the the rules, either for whatever reason, have been relaxed for some strange reason. Well, it, <laughs> there aren't any rules. <laughs> <laughs> maybe no, maybe no, that's no. the answer. <laughs> yeah. The U.S. Supreme Court has decided not to have any rules applied to them, that they're going to use their good judgment. Well, we see where that has led us. I mean, I think what's been happening at the court, the allegations about taking gifts, taking money, having conflicts of interest in terms of relatives is shameful. And it really goes to the integrity of the court and faith that people have in decisions by that court. Um, You know, Almost every judge, and probably every other judge in this country, abides by some code of ethics. We can argue about whether they're good codes or bad codes, but there are codes. And I can tell you that I believe almost all codes, if not all of them, would have people like Justice Clarence Thomas recusing himself or not accepting those kinds of gifts from somebody who appears in some manner in front of the court. Um, you know, the, the federal judges have strict code yeah. of ethics, and they're, they're, that's enforced. I, the last thing, you know, people say, well, who's going to enforce it against the Supreme Court? And that's a little problematic because the court obviously can't police itself. It's not doing well on that. But they could appoint some re- retired federal judges to sit on a panel that would look at violations of, of ethics. That's often, that's frankly what often happens with the Wisconsin Supreme Court when it comes back. So I, I do think, you know, they've got to do something because people don't trust them anymore. And if you don't trust the courts, then the independence of the judiciary isn't worth much. I, I agree 100 percent with Justice Geske. It, it is an embarrassment to all of us who I'll just take an example, Janine, of how we're governed here in Wisconsin, whether you're at the Supreme Court uh, as you were or whether you're at the trial court as you were many years ago and I and I was and, and that I continue to do as a reserve judge. The reality is we have to be so careful about reporting things as little as, you know, a $50 uh, donation in our name to a charity or a, a, or a dinner or uh, that we attended or tickets to a ball game. Um, if we aren't reporting that on our ethics statement, our financial statements uh, on a regular basis, which, by the way, the public can have free access to and often does as and acts as a watchdog over us, along with the Judicial Commission, you know, we'd be in a world of hurt, not only sanctioned, but but probably would lose uh, all credibility in the sense that we'd never be elected again. So it, it, it appalls me that uh, the highest court in the land uh, even over the rest of the federal bench uh, that you and I both uh, respect as well and have members of our judiciary like Diane Sykes and Mike Brennan that are now up at the Seventh Circuit and they're as honest as the day is long. I mean, they'd be in, in private conversations just as appalled as you and I are. So I would say the majority of the bench, whether federal and state, is embarrassed by this. And um, I think Roberts, in an effort to address this, did a good thing. He appointed Kavanaugh. And I think Coney uh, Barrett to uh, go around and solicit information uh, and uh, write a report and make some recommendations to the Federal Judicial Conference, which can adopt some rules, including one of the things you suggested, having some retired federal judges 
uh, or even members of the Judicial Conference sit in judgment of the Supreme Court on issues of ethics. I was going to say have the Congress do it, but they've decided to take the rest of the year off. That's my opinion. <laughs> no, it, would be the judicial, it would be the Judicial Conference. Right. We have one at the state level, and the feds have one at, this, at the federal level. Judge Mary Kuhnmensch, Supreme Court Justice Jan, Janine Geske. I, I, I'll, I'll leave, with, leave you with this before we go to our break. Uh, from the text line, great and informative guests love learning all this. There's a reason why you're both on. Thank, thank you. Thank you for both of your, your wisdom and sharing with our audience. Uh, these conversations obviously will continue on Thursdays throughout the, the rest of this year as we debate all the, the legal topics of 2024, which will be a great number. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, and, and leaving <laughs> politics out of it, these are very important conversations that matter. All right, we'll take a break here. Listen, of course, to WTMJ now. Everybody's got a theme song now, except me for some reason. I don't know. I've got to fix that. Joining me in the studio, you usually hear about once a month. You will con- we'll continue to hear from a lot of elected officials in the year 2024. Uh, my friend and the Washington County Executive, Josh Showman, joins us in the studio. Good to see you, as yeah, always. Nice to see you as well. I, I, every rose has its thorn. Is that- <laughs> <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day after. <laughs> yeah. Is that what, it, that what we're doing? I guess. I see you guys. You brought your... your uh, Communications expert, uh, yeah. Fran, and, and you're all adorned in the Washington County gear today. T- today's uh, our fifth anniversary of our logo, so today's Washington County Logo Day, and it's National Wisconsin Day. Oh, Did I didn't know that. Know that? Yeah, no, I did National not know. Wisconsin. So what is National Wisconsin Day? Just celebrating the state of Wisconsin? I, uh, isn't it every day? I, that, that's what I'm confused about. Is yeah. Every day celebrate so Wisconsin I was day? involved in the creation of the Oak Creek logo, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't know, 10 years ago, and uh-huh. it's an exciting thing. Yeah. How, I'm going to ask you this because we went through this. Yeah. How much, how tumultuous was the process? Because we had some really <laughs> serious discussions about it. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness, it you're was changing the logo? Yeah, oh, yeah. Are you going to put it on every truck? How much are you spending on yeah. this? Yeah, no, it was it was quite tumultuous. But I kept bringing people back to, I said, listen, this is, when you see that logo, you've got to think about the mission of the county, creating an environment for authentic quality of life. That it, It's important to drive a brand. It's important to... Uh, motivate people to fulfill our mission and uh, man it, it is people get sensitive about logos i'll tell you that so what's on your mind today you always bring something to the show i, I have your notes but let's just let's just talk what's on your mind today well first thing I'm front my, and center front and center on my mind is we're seeing another proposal for another referendum uh down here in milwaukee and we've got them all over the state of wisconsin with schools the the declining enrollments across the state are just very concerning, and uh, this funding funding strategy for schools has got to be solved. But, you know, my heart goes out to the working people in, in Milwaukee and throughout all the state of Wisconsin. They, I mean, these never-ending tax increases are just, they're brutal. They're yeah, brutal. Yeah, $400-plus if you have a home valued at 200000 which is not many homes anymore because all the values have gone way up. It's a lot of money it, in it a is. one-year budget, and that's, you know, that's the beginning on top of all the other taxes we pay. It is, and I know, I know it drives people nuts down here, but I keep saying, like, I invite people up to Washington County. We we welcome folks. You're our neighbors. Like, come on up and save a few bucks and enjoy. What's your population up there? 137,000. Is it on the upswing? It's on the upswing, but slowly but surely. I mean, you know, Wisconsin is, the demographically, we're an old state. Uh, um, and uh, if you look 20 years out, it, it's going to be hard to keep it on the upswing everywhere. Every time I talk to an elected official or a CEO for that matter, and I talk to a ton of them on this show, it's it's about retention young people that's right uh, obviously we, we 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 put a lot of people through our school systems and our university systems but 
more often than not, they, they seek greater fortune in other places. So how do we change that dynamic? Well, I think it's multifaceted, that's, and that's the challenge, right? To try to get people in society today to pay attention to more than one thing seems almost impossible. But I think, I think there's a number of things. Our, our higher education um, system in the state of Wisconsin, holistically, is just cl- completely broken. I think it's got to be completely rethought, and nobody is having that conversation. It's just take it as it comes. I think um, housing, specifically the missing middle, uh, middle-income housing, it, it's... I mean, we're we're driving millennials and Gen Z to two thousand dollar a month rents. It makes no sense. Not only because it's unaffordable, but also because it doesn't. It prevents them from living the American dream and building the greatest generational wealth builder that we have in America, and that is home ownership. Not not that's not the least to say. Property ownership is the single uh, greatest source of individual liberty and personal freedom. I mean, as, America's founded on that. As a leader of Washington County, how do you go after? New business. This this is a question that a lot of people ask me. We got we got to bring companies. We saw the great news uh, south of Milwaukee with uh, Microsoft. I mean, how do we do those kinds of things from a at a county level? I think the simplest way to start is to create the environment. It's why our logo drives our mission: create the environment for residents and businesses to enjoy authentic quality of life. That doesn't mean government creates quality of life. It means we create the space, which is why I get so nervous about. Endless tax increases. How how can you attract businesses or people when you constantly keep hitting them left and right with all of these tax increases? It's just not sustainable. Now there's an there's an even keel. I'm I'm a conservative. I'm for small government, but I believe in effective services. If if you don't have you call nine one one and an ambulance doesn't show up, that's not effective service. Not everybody has that expectation, but we can't be all things to all people. So I think there's an there's an even keel that's got to be found, but first and foremost, government's got to create the environment for businesses to want to be here. And, boy, it seems like we're going in the wrong direction in Wisconsin. I'll take a break here. I want you to think about this during the break. We talk a lot about the surplus in Wisconsin. Yeah. Significant. Billions yeah. of dollars. I want to get your take on what local leaders' perspective is on what we should do with that. It's different depending on who you ask, and I ask. We'll do that after the break. County Executive from Washington County, Josh Showman on WTMJ. How I can- Producer Charlie's doing his own thing today. He's having fun. <laughs> Did you make requests to county executives? Did you make. <laughs> it's not a music So are you station. the rose or are you the thorn? I'm the thorn. You're the thorn. Yeah. All right. I love it. Oh, man. That's good. Yeah. All right. All right. So, Gold star, Charlie. Gold star. <laughs> uh, one of the things we've, we've talked about in, on a sort of a, an ongoing basis is the, the, the problem for the, the technical college students and some of the, the two year systems to get. Credits to be able to transfer. So you guys are working on stuff. Yeah, we are. I, I got to give a huge shout out to Ch- Chancellor Moni. He has been UWM. A, yep, UWM Chancellor. He's been a fantastic partner. Um, this is, you know, this is a really tough situation that the UW is going through. Um, you know, less and less students, uh, and, and this is just the beginning of it, and that's reflected in UW Washington County, no doubt about it. Um, but bottom line is, they created pathways with technical colleges to get students directly in a pipeline from those tech schools to the UW uh, as as juniors. And that's a fantastic step in the right direction. I, I, I think it's one step of probably a uh, 5,000-mile journey, but it is an important step. And for 50 years, it's been something that UW schools have, 
have really resisted. So kudos to him. And, uh, you know, I think it's, as we talked about just a minute ago, it's one of those things to recruit more of our kids to come back home, which leads employers to go, wait a minute, there's a workforce to pick from here. Um, it, it's one positive step in the right direction. Somebody asked in the text line, so I'm going to ask you, how, how would you break down your sectors when it comes to um, business in Washington County? Like, what kind of businesses? Uh, we're still, believe it or not, we're still very blue collar. We'll, we're still very agricultural, although we're not the, the typical uh, dairy county. Uh, our number one agricultural area is actually horticulture. We do a lot of uh, nurseries growing some of those plants that uh, I'm sure your wife will be having you plant this spring. <laughs> um, so uh, we're we're heavy in those areas, but we also have a large insurance sector. People don't necessarily think of that usually, but obviously West Bend Mutual Insurance, the oldest uh, mutual in the state of Wisconsin, and then uh, excuse me, Germantown Mutual is the oldest in the state of Wisconsin. West Bend Mutual is one of the largest, and then uh, Delta Defense, uh, the United States Concealed Carry Association. People don't think of them, but they're an insurance company. Hmm. So those are some big areas for us. Um, I know we've also talked about this a lot, and this is that really hard transition from small volunteer departments and response times when yeah. it comes to public safety. Uh, you've put together an EMS task force that's sort of looking at these issues. Who's on the on the task force? What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, so the the task force is a, a group of people that try. I'm trying to get representing different areas. As you know, uh, certainly the fire and EMS guys have their interests. So we have. Uh, the, the head of the Fire Training Officers Association, the head of the Fire Chiefs Association, the head of the Emergency Management uh, EMS Association, excuse me. We Then we also have three elected officials. Towns, villages, and cities, as you know, are very interested in this issue. It's a huge part of their budgets, and, and the never-ending increases in expenses are impacting them. Uh, so I have uh, a town board chairman and two village presidents, and then we have uh, three citizen members, two who have direct experience in the past in fire and EMS, uh, two former chiefs, and then a former uh, town board supervisor. And we tried to get people geographically from throughout the county. Um, the nice thing about Washington County is our close proximity to Milwaukee. And uh, when you're in the northern part of the county up by Kewaskum, it feels like you're in the Northwoods. So that that uh, uh, geography is reflected in our culture as well. You go up into Colesville up by Jugs Hitching Post, and it's very rural, volunteer fire company, you know, up in Boltonville in the northeast part of the county by Sheboygan County. Those are true volunteers, no pay. Um, City of West Bend, fully fully paid, unionized, full-time fire and par- firefighters and paramedics, and Germantown has a referendum coming up this spring for the same. So largely the same. So it's it's a lot of different and disparate interest groups and trying to bring them all together because everybody agrees if we keep mo- operating the model we've had for the last 150 years, it's unsustainable and unfortunately, uh, you know, people's lives are at risk. To that point, is there a model that says that volunteer response can work? Uh, in Wisconsin, the way we have it structured, I don't think there really is. I when, when we were at the Wisconsin Counties Association Legislative Conference last week, and we're hearing all across the state of Wisconsin, people are struggling with this. Um, you know, here in Wisconsin, I, it, this came up yesterday in our task force meeting. Uh, we had a volunteer, former chief, who who was in, in the fire service for decades. They they have a retirement benefit, um, and at the end of his service, over all those decades. He accumulated seventeen thousand dollars in retirement benefit. Seventeen thousand total, and he's got a, a friend with a son over in Maryland who's who's in their volunteer fire company. They earn about that a year as a volunteer in their retirement. I mean, now there's an incentive. I can see right. Gen Z and millennials saying, "Hey, you know, sign me up for that." 
So until we start thinking totally different about the way we do business, uh, we're going to keep getting the same result, and unfortunately, it puts people's lives at risk. I asked you uh, during the break or before the break about the surplus. What should we do with the surplus in Wisconsin? Well, first and foremost, it's it's the people's money. It's not absolutely money. So I think that's where you start. I like what the legislature has proposed. I'm I'm encouraged that the governor at least has talks a good game about giving money back to people. We'll see if they can come up with some solution. Uh, but then, you know, I think some of these issues, like we're talking about right here, public safety and roads are, are big matters. I would say uh, lead lateral placement, uh, WISN-TV just did a, an interesting interview the other night on lead laterals here in the city of Milwaukee. I've got the same problem in West Bend. Old old housing stock. Old housing stock. I had 850 lead laterals in the, in the city of West Bend, and, you know, those things need to be replaced, and that's all over the state of Wisconsin. So, you know, all of those, the basics, get government focused on the basics and do them really, really well. Uh, and then the rest of the stuff, you know, we just can't afford to do. Real quick, you think the governor will sign that tax cut that the legislature just gave him? Um, I'm not a betting man, but <laughs> if I were, I'd bet on no. Okay. Well, that's as honest as answers you're going to get. All right, so we'll take a break here. Our guest uh, is county executive from Washington County, Josh Showman. Um, we may talk some Cracker Barrel. We'll see what happens after <laughs> the break. That's next. Washington County Executive Josh Showman is my guest. You'll hear Josh uh, throughout the year, as, as as well as other elected officials. I want to keep that part of that uh, that communication pipeline going because, as somebody told me a long time ago, the real work gets done at the local level. I don't think anyone disputes that. You should understand that because most of the real big decisions, county executive, happen in counties and cities and villages and towns. That's the reality. That's exactly. Most People of the forget federal it. policy, most of the policy coming out of Madison, you, it never even touches you or you don't think about it in your daily life. But when your garbage doesn't get picked up or the ambulance doesn't show up, you know it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, and as a leader, you get those calls. Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the, the classic one I got was uh, snowstorm. Somebody has an appointment. <laughs> like, the plow's not here. I go, we got to get the big streets first. This little, tiny, little lane is not going to get... Plowed for a while. My, fav- my favorite one was, is when the plow comes through for the second time and oh, fills yeah. your driveway yeah. in, and then they call. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. Yeah. There's actually, not that I want to get too far off topic, there's actually a new plow system that doesn't doesn't happen that way. Is that right? It takes the snow and moves it in a different sort of direction. It's, it's fascinating. Uh-huh. But we're not all going to invest in that new technology. <laughs> it's hard enough to pay the bills in now. In government, it'll be 30 years. We'll yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> so we were talking in a break. There's a JS story, a Journal Sentinel story about uh, farms, the challenges for farms. And you, were, you were throwing some numbers at me. Yeah, it's crazy. So Journal Sentinel just posted this this morning, uh, 6.30 a.m. Wisconsin lost 10% of its farms, 30% of its dairies in five years, according to the U.S. Agricultural Census. It's crazy. It is crazy. It, it, it's sad. The, you know, I just wrote an op-ed not too long ago about the pressures that these dairy farms face. And, you know, in particular, you look at um, special interests, even local special interests and local governments, the regulation they're putting on. I mean, these guys are getting it from every angle. It's not as if the, the global market supply isn't enough stress on them. Then on top of it, you've got local regulation telling them how many cows they can have and where they can, you know, do certain things. I mean, it's it's just you feel for these guys. And if we want... We want to continue to be the the uh, dairy land, so to speak, uh, on Wisconsin on National Wisconsin Day. Uh, you know that little red barn is the iconography of Wisconsin. That's who we are, and we can't have that kind of uh, local regulation and attack, a special interest group attack on on dairy farmers. And we got to do everything we possibly can to support them, not not hinder them. 
Whenever I have conversations about farming, especially with dairy farmers at the state fair, it's always uh, this comes up. People generally don't know where their food products come from. Isn't it incredible? It's just like they, they think the store is like the end of the... There's so much beyond that. And, I, you know, you'd think with like 4-H and so all the outreach that we try to do with state fairs and county fairs that people would have a better understanding. But we have a very, a very narrow view of, of how food is made and produced in the state we, and, and elsewhere. Yeah, we one of the one of the local farms not too far from my house is um, Rodin's Echo Valley, and they they have a, a thing that they call Rodin's back. Uh, I think it's Rodin's Barnyard Adventures, and they bring people out like in a camp, like a summer camp, and teach them where where your food comes from and how it's grown and raised and the animals and all of those things. I mean, check Google it and check it out. It's it's pretty cool um, because it is. People are so far detached uh, as these generations have gone by. They don't even realize that steak doesn't actually come from Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and food doesn't come from just fast food places, That's which, right. you know, I, my friends at Chick-fil-A will remind me there's like four meals now. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, and late dinner, you know, after the practices and <laughs> the gymnastic meets. Yes. And it's, it's, it's an insane thing. Uh, real quick, because we had a lot of fun with this last time, the, the challenge, the, uh, the, the um, no, I forgot the name of the rest. Cracker Barrel. Yeah, Cracker Barrel Challenge. <laughs> if the mayor takes us up on it or not, I, w- I want to come up to Washington County and do the show from uh, a Cracker Barrel. So if you can make that connection for us, yeah, I'd like to we'll, do that. We'll do it. We'll, we'll do, do it. We'll I'd do love an to hour. have the mayor there. I've, again, uh, Chevy, I'm inviting you up to Washington County. Let's let's uh, have, share that peach cobbler. and Yeah, uh, their food's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's get up there. All right, so I'm going to leave that. That's on your list. All right. We'll, we'll uh, and we'll come up and do an hour uh, live, and then maybe we'll do some podcast stuff as well. Fran, we're, we're counting on you. Yes. <laughs> Fran, expert communications person. <laughs> yeah. It's all on you now. Fabulous Fran. I believe he just handed it off to you. <laughs> That's delegated, right? Yeah. As a mayor, you you got to appreciate that. Absolutely. Under, understand your staff and appreciate their, their, their greatness. Amen. That's always the case. Always great to see you. Washington County Executive Josh Showman. Thanks for having Safe me. Safe travels, and we'll, we'll talk again down the road. All right. uh, the news is next. Got a, a busy two hours. Second to last edition of this show before I transform the show into the political power hour. Next Monday, 9 to 10. Lots to talk about. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. It's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. And good morning, everybody. Welcome. Happy Thursday. I got a lot of emails this week about a lot of things. One of them is the, the, the upcoming changes next week. And I'll say this. There's, there's a lot of... Uh, Industry talk and all that stuff, I could care less about that because I'm not somebody who worked my whole life in, in radio, but I've enjoyed the heck out of the last seven years. Seven years next week, by the way, at WTMJ from the Scafidian Billstead days to the Steve Scafidi show to WTMJ now and to the political power hour starting Monday, 9 to 10 on WTMJ. And I'm excited about all that stuff. And the, the basic question I get is, aren't you going to miss being on the air for three hours? Well, here's, here's, there's a sort of a transition here. I will be on for an hour with my show. I'm actually going to fill in with um, some of the other hosts here at WTMJ with uh, Kristen Bry in the afternoon, spanning the state. That's going to happen for me next Tuesday and then on a couple Mondays after that. So I'm looking forward to that. I have three podcasts that I I do every week. Let me just run through some of these things. So Decision Wisconsin is more politics-focused, right? From every angle, from polling to uh, elected officials to justices to uh, writers about politics. And that's sort of uh, the meat and potatoes of my life at WTMJ when I'm not on the air. I also do Scavidiology podcast, which is everything 
other than politics. And on that front, I've got uh, a great podcast coming up a couple of weeks with Carol Kane and Steve Palco. They were in studio with this with me this week. 90 years of radio experience. And we had a blast doing a, a podcast. That'll be, I think, next Friday. This Friday, the Milwaukee Mayor, Cavalier Johnson. We'll publish that tomorrow. I wanted to get him in the podcast format because, one, there's no interruptions, no breaks. And we could just kind of riff on politics of the state, the city, relationships, communication, uh, how he got in, his ambitions, all that stuff. So we, that'll be published tomorrow. And then coming up next week, we got Matt Smith, who's not only going to be on the podcast, Decision Wisconsin, but he's also going to join me on Monday's journalist show, along with Charles Benson, who I'm excited about, Charles first, and then Matt Smith, who does a great upfront program. And I, I don't know if I've said this out loud to, to Matt before, and I'm actually going to meet with him later today. Um, his work on upfront is some of the best work on politics in the state of Wisconsin. Same thing with Charles Benson. He is the premier political reporter in the state of Wisconsin. It's not controversial to say that's not breaking news. He's done it for so long. He's covered a ton of presidential elections. Both of these gentlemen, very good at what they do, and that leads me to the program, which is what I'm going to try to do every day. Those of you who are loyal listeners, you know how good Bill McCosh and Joseph Pecky are on Friday which is basically where we stole the name from, because that was the political power hour on Friday, and we're doing that all week. Subject matter experts know their stuff, can talk about it easily. I gave you a little taste of that with the the justices in the first half hour, nine o'clock hour. Just wisdom that I don't have, and you probably don't have, and I got a lot of great texts that say, oh my God, I love this, the knowledge I'm learning from this, and that's the goal. Look, there's all kinds of radio where there's, Generally, white guys, old white guys screaming about stuff. If that's your thing, enjoy yourself. That's not what I'm doing. I don't, I'm not interested in that. I don't care about that. They can say what they want. I don't care. If we're going to vote in November, let's inform ourselves, not political party talking points. Don't need them. Don't want them. Don't appreciate them. But actual subject matter experts and all the things that go into casting a vote, understanding your country and your states, how decisions are made, what laws we need, issues we have, that's the focus of my 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock hour next week. Having a conversation on Monday with a congressman from northern Wisconsin, because we cover the most of the state. That's the difference. Again, WTMJ, we go almost everywhere. Legacy station, biggest stick in the states. That matters. We're not hard to hear after 5 o'clock in the wintertime. We go far. Tom Tiffany, congressman from the Wausau area, northern Wisconsin, will join us uh, on the Decision Wisconsin podcast next week, and we'll record that on Monday. That's the difference. We have all kinds of guests, whether it's on the show, 9 to 10, or on the podcast, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday really in-depth on the things that matter to those of us living in Wisconsin and beyond, because I know we have listeners everywhere. You can find it all at WTMG.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Decision Wisconsin on the politics side. We've got a great one up right now from uh, CNN, congressional correspondent, chief congressional correspondent, Manu Raju, who has a Wisconsin connection. Decision Wisconsin podcast. And then, as I said, uh, this Friday, tomorrow, we'll publish the uh, podcast with Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson. All right, after the break, an interesting show poll today and a question. What are we going to see this fall? Red wave, blue wave, mixed, 
What do you think? 855-616-1620. A uh, recent, as recent as Tuesday, results in New York. Congressional district formerly held by George Santos, who's expelled from Congress. Doesn't happen very often. Well, he managed to make that happen. And a district shifts from Republican to Democrat. Is that a signal? What do you think? 855-616-1620. I'll discuss next. Here's my radio life in a nutshell. I'm taking some liberties because this is the last couple days of this iteration of my show. This is my reality. This is from the 414. I started listening to you during the pandemic while I was like the only person going to work every day. You made my work mornings bearable, and I'm a better person because of you. That That is a very, very nice text. So thank you for that from the 414. Uh, then I have this. Your attitude on some of this stuff might be the reason they're scheduling this change. It's not the reason, but everybody has an opinion. I'm sick of hearing you. <laughs> That's my radio reality, which is actually in the wheelhouse of where I'm most comfortable. Always... My, my, my good buddy, Ed Sierra, who trained me for uh, my first marathon, said, always run, and he was a state champion runner. I wasn't. That was the guy that got back into running in my 40s, which was a good thing. He said, always run right on that edge of uncomfortable, right? Because you're, you're testing yourself. If it gets too easy, what are you doing? You're not challenging yourself, and you can, you can get better times. And I, and I took my, at the time, half marathon time, which I did like 15 of those before I ever ran a marathon, from like 220-something to two hours which for me was good. So on the edge of uncomfortability, that's the essence of what I think makes great radio. And you can disagree. That's fine. If you have a disagreement, send it to the text line, 855-616-1620. We have become accustomed to the um, agreeable radio, right? You find a station or, or whatever that, that says the things you like. You sit there at home, you nod your head, and that's easy. It's hard to listen to people that you don't agree with. But I would argue, and I, I have over and over again, that it's part of the process. It makes you smarter. That's why I love change. Change is good. Break up the status quo. The worst thing you can say to me is, that's how we've always done it. That's lazy. That's unintellectual. And frankly, is not an efficient way to approach anything. So stop with that. All right, enough said on that. There was a big race in New York State this week. Democrat Tom, I think I'm saying this right, Susie. I should know this. It's an Italian name. Uh, he defeated the Republican candidate, Maisie Phillip, New York's third congressional district. Why do you know that? Because it was formerly occupied by George Santos, serial liar, indicted on fraud charges, not convicted, but he was expelled from Congress based on those charges and his behavior, including apparently stealing money from a uh, one of his colleagues in the uh, House of Representatives, which is a you know serious offense. Ethics Committee also said, this guy's got to go. It never happens. It happened this time. But there's a bigger story here, and I want to get your take on this, because a lot of what we're talking about when it comes to November 2024 is Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, former president versus current president. Trump-Biden 2.0. Trump lost in 2020. Trump's trying to flip the script this time. Um, He's had some good polling numbers and some bad. And as anyone who's looked at politics in any great level of detail, it's really, you know, popular vote's the popular vote. Democrats generally always win that. But it's the swing states that decide this. Now, New York's not a swing state. But I made up my show poll today, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Is that New York congressional 
win by Democrats over Republican, which is what it was. It was Republican George Santos. Is that a signal or is it indicative of a blue wave coming November? I've said on this program, it's not shocking. Donald Trump should have no problem winning the nomination for the Republicans for the general in November. My personal opinion, and other people disagree, I think he's a boat anchor in a general election. He's lost women, especially suburban women. Women's health issues, abortion, certainly going to come front and center again in the run-up to the election. Trump may or may not debate. He's, he's feeling supercharged lately because of all the issues with Joe Biden, and, and they're real. I spent a little time on, I believe, Monday or Tuesday talking about the fact that this current president we have, he's shuffling to the podium. You could see that when he did his address the other night. He's slurring his words. Not that the former president isn't also making some mistakes. They all do. They, they talk a lot on the campaign trail. But is this one race indicative of a larger trend that we may see play out in historic fashion in November, where Republicans don't just lose the presidential election with Trump as their nominee, they also lose the House. It's, it's narrow, thin now, and it just got closer with the election of a Democrat in New York State. A lot of people saying that could happen. And if you're a Republican and you have a Democratic president, Joe Biden, 2.0, second term, Senate led by Democrats, House taken over by Democrats, if you're a Republican, does that factor into your Trump decision? Or do you not think Trump's a boat anchor? Because lots of people do. We'll take another break here. Join us in the conversation, 855-616-1620. Got a couple other fun things happening today. Jeff Sherman, one of our new hosts that will be starting his program next week, it's called The Upswing, sort of a business hour. But we'll let him tell the story. Uh, will join us about uh, 11.08. We've got a uh, giveaway. Of course, Mindshaft give it, giveaway every Thursday. We'll do that quickly. It's it's uh, because of the, uh, the condensed show that we do. Starting Monday, we're going to make that process quicker. But you still win a $30 Mindshaft gift card. Beautiful downtown Hartford restaurant. And, oh, by the way, Thursdays, pizzas, buy one, get one. Buy five, get five. It's a great deal. Take advantage of it. All right. I'm waiting to hear what you have to say. I've got more thoughts, but I want to hear what you have to say. 855-616-1620. The WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Thanks for tuning in on this Thursday edition. I'm asking the question, what's going to happen in November? Not the presidential question, but we'll all find out when we find out. And certainly I'll be a big part of that coverage, along with John and our great team here at uh, WTMJ. Um, but the uh, the recent New York State congressional race, seat owned by Republicans, now Democrat in that position, or will be shortly, is it a signal of a coming Democrat blue wave in November? I gave you a a few answers, possible answers or choices on the show poll. If you're not on the Twitter, good life choice. You can vote on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. No, it's an outlier. Yes, a bloodbath for the GOP. I sort of am in that camp, and 51.9% of the uh, almost 250 respondents have said that answer. Uh, not sure how I feel about 22%, so if you get a chance, weigh in on that one. Let's go to the phone lines from the city of Madison. Stan. Hey, Stan, welcome. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Sure. Here's what I think. I don't think it's indicative of a blue wave. A, it happened in a district that encompasses Long Island and even parts of Queens. B, 
the people in that district are upset with Republicans because Santos is so weird. Mm-hmm. So, but here's what I think the Democrats could learn. Read in the New York Times this morning, that guy ran a very good campaign, in part because he was not dismissive of people's concerns about issues such as crime and immigration. And if Democrats take that approach in November, they could do very well. Good thoughts, and thanks for the call, Stan. I would, I would caution Republicans, and my, my friend Jerry always says, I hate when, or not Jerry, who says, some one of my friends that's a Republican, a dire conservative, says, I hate when you say that. Maybe it's Jerry. Um, there's a lot of trending and, and um, pattern behavior that's been part of analysis of elections. I think this one is going to buck some of those trends. We've already seen it with like the wow counties in Wisconsin. Um, I think suburban women in Wisconsin are going to send a pretty clear message in November. I don't necessarily know that Donald Trump's going to like it, but you know, some of the polling suggests right now he's leading Joe Biden. Joe Biden is his worst, his own worst enemy. I mean, fumbling is not necessarily a, a, a character trait or a personality trait that people want to uh, see in a presidential candidate. And unfortunately, that's been the, the issue with Biden. So, so the, the handlers of Joe Biden, just like Trump has handlers, have a decision to make. Do we put them out there more, make more mistakes, or do we put them out there less, try to control? The American public has basically said, eh, we have to know. Because if we don't know, this election could go the other way. And, and I never say this anymore. I, I used to say it. Donald Trump could win this election if Joe Biden lets him win it. That, that's a reality. Now, I call Donald Trump a boat anchor. He kills down-ballot candidates. He has always been that way. And I don't think that's going to change. So my point to Stan's point is, I'd be careful with the trends. Behavior is changing in this country. Patterns of voting are changing. There are a lot of people that are, that are smarter than me when looking at politics that say that we may have a, an undervote, less people voting. They're just, they're fed up. And there's been periods in our history where that's been the case. It's like, I'm not getting involved in this mess. You're embarrassing our country. Joe Biden on the left, Donald Trump on the right. This is the best we have. And the answer to that question, by the way, is no. This is not the best we have. From the, as soon as I get my mouse to work, there we go. From the mouse <laughs> to the text line, uh, the only Democrat not overperforming is Biden. You're not wrong. Uh, from the 9262, why do Democrats always seem to win single-race elections or special elections, message, money, candidate? The other fear for Republicans that they should have? Democrats have way more money. Not close. Won't be close. There's only so many rich Republican billionaires. Some of those people don't like Trump. What are you going to do? And also, Republican friends, you should worry about the fact that Donald Trump trying to get his grubby little paws on all the money the RNC has. Why is he doing that? Because he's going to have massive legal bills that he doesn't want to pay. Sounds like tomorrow he's going to get another judgment handed him potentially, which could be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Could shut down his New York business. Tex joins us from the great state of Florida. Welcome, Tex. Good morning. Good, good morning. So just quick first, clear for next week. You still will be on the air, though, right? I'll be on the air 9 to 10 local time. So that'll be 10 to 11. And that's it? That's it. And then I do all the podcasts. and a Oh, lot that's of... sad. I appreciate the My kind of... My heart is broken. Well, I'm still going to be here, Tex. So we're going to jam that hour with as many good things as we can for you. Yeah. All right. Anyways, I think it depends, you know, if it's, 
Trump versus Biden, I think it's a toss-up. But if one of them drops out, so like if it ends up being somebody else instead of Trump, then I think it'll be the Republicans will run away with it. And versus if it's somebody other than Biden versus Trump, then the uh, Democrats will run away with it. How likely do you think that's going to happen, Tex? Because I've heard a lot of experts saying, yeah, one of these people won't be around in November. I don't know that. Yeah, I just can't think it's possible. <laughs> They'll both be there. I mean, yeah, you would it think. It doesn't seem right that it will be. Yeah, and and stick with us, Tex. Even though it's an hour, we're going to make as, as an interesting hour as you're going to ever hear on, on radio. And, and I've, I've cited the Friday example with Joe and Bill, Joe Zapecki, uh, Democratic strategist Bill McCaution, a Republican strategist, former chief of staff for Tommy Thompson. I'm going to du- duplicate that for five days in the 9 o'clock hour. And give the kudos. I was talking to Joe... I think it was yesterday. Um, one of the reasons we branded this new 9 to 10 show, gave it the name of the Friday Hour, is because that's what we want to do. And to be honest, you may you may hear Joe and Bill on doing quick appearances on the other days, too, when there's a hot-button topic that they break down as good as anybody else. I, you know, people say, why do you say it's the best hour of politics in the state? Because it is. And I use the the prism of balanced, not the weird balance that everybody talks about with Fox, whatever that is, because it's not balanced. But actually looking at it from the two perspectives. The value of radio done like that is it challenges you. And challenge, kind of nudging you to uh, think things about things in a different way, is in my world a, a good way to uh, mix it up. And that's our goal. Monday journalists, Tuesday political writers, Wednesday public safety, Thursday legal experts, Friday strategists on both sides of the aisle. Powerhouse hour. Another quick break on WTMJ. Happy Thursday, everybody. Charlie cranking it up today. Rocking on. Rocking on WTMJ. I love it, Charlie. Well done. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you I told you so. I don't do that often. Do I? Charlie, give me a weird look. Anyway, here's the headline. CNN, business. Singles are sick of dating apps. I told you this was going to happen. The whole thing's creepy. Save the text. You met your boyfriend. That was when they were normal. They're not normal anymore. One of my friends was sharing their attempt to <laughs> meet somebody. On one of the- it is just creepy. It is bizarre, weird. Not real. Make-believe. You know what they're going back to, according to CNN? Mixers. Speed dating. In-person. Dating parties. Producer Charlie's looking at me like, I'm nuts. Am I nuts? I just never been to them. I remember seeing a sign for one <laughs> at, a, at a cafe in San Francisco. I don't know if I've seen anything about it around here. Uh, what, a mixer or dating? Because dating, uh... I, know, I know they exist. Yeah, but speed never... dating. It's been in movies. I mean, I've been going on dates someone I met on uh, Bumble, so... Really? What's Bumble? Uh, well, I haven't used it in a while, but back then it was basically Tinder, but the woman always makes the sends the first message like the man can't. Oh, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> tell me. <laughs> makes uh, me feel inadequate, though. Yeah, well, we all feel in- inadequate at times. So attendance at these dating events, up 42% in one year. 42%. Apparently, there's like tickets you can get on Eventbrite, which is a one of the online platforms for tickets. They do some of these. It's nuts. Some of them do them in ice baths. Imagine that. 
in the story that I'm looking at. You meet someone in an ice bath and with your swimsuit on. Valentine's Day. We just had we just celebrated Valentine's Day. Popular day for singles meetups. Singles events for Valentine's Day this year up forty one percent. A sea change in the dating environment. According to the CEO of matchmaking company, I never heard of this, Apage Match. The number one, this is from their CEO, the number one complaint I hear is that people are experiencing dating app fatigue. We have to go back to dating like it's 1988. Yes. Real people. Not a screen. Not swiping. Not make-believe resumes or bios. I referred to that friend who was showing me some of this stuff. If you wanted to describe the people they were looking at as possible dating choices, you could take that same pictures, group of pictures, and link it to a uh, prisoner <laughs> website. Oh, my God. How in the world would you make a choice based on that? Now, save the text. I know some people aren't looking for a date, per se. They're looking for something else. Knock yourself out. There's plenty of places you can go do that. Uh, one of the other people they talked about in the story says, there's something called chemistry. Billions of dollars have been spent trying to replicate the experience of meeting face-to-face, and it's never been replicated. According to Match.com, 25% of people met their recent first date online. 20% met through a friend. I think the friend thing should be more. You have a friend. Generally, you trust your friends. They say, hey, I know Brad or Julie might be a good match for you. Want to go on a date? If you're on a dating app, why wouldn't you go on a date in person? You can always bow out. Hey, I got to wake up early, blah, blah, blah. You know, a lot of this stuff took off during the pandemic, right? No one was doing anything. You had to do it online. I'm not going to spend much time on this. I'm just, I'm just going to say I was right. The down of downfall of dating apps. Back to in-person. How about a church? A lot of nice people go to places of worship. You can meet them there. Have an extended conversation about what you just heard in church. And take here's, here's where I'm going to layer some of the things I talk about on the show. Take that conversation you heard from your pastor or priest and then meet somebody and then take that conversation outside the doors into real life. That's reality we need more of. Faith, not just in the place where you practice together, but when you're one-on-one with somebody who may share that faith or may not. Is that a lecture, Charlie? Is that lecturing? I don't think so. I think it's a good message. No response from Charlie. All right, we're going to switch gears because only I'm interested in this, apparently. You don't have to look any further than uh, Donald Trump, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, the American... Americans have a fascination with billionaires. And I've also, if you listen to the show, you know, I've been very critical of Elon Musk. You know, some people consider him a genius. I don't. Um, He has, in his mind, opened up the Twitter platform now called X uh, to be more fair to counter opinions, counter beliefs. But it's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to actually do it in the right way. Why do I say that? So, recent story, Elon Musk owns X, one of the largest social media platforms in the world, may be violating U.S. sanctions by accepting money, payments, for 
you probably know it as being verified, subscription accounts, from terrorist organizations and other groups, white supremacist groups, that are basically barred or banned from doing business anywhere in this country. And think about it on its face. Look, I, I don't. to me, being a billionaire doesn't mean you're a genius. It means you're lucky, first off. You may be smart in some sense. The old term was book smart, street dumb, or whatever you know, v- variety of way you want to put that. He, in this weird attempt to sort of transform our, our debate in this country, believes that there, there should be a place for people that are hate-filled, threaten violence, are white supremacists, terrorist organizations. And because it's a monetary transaction, he's just fine, or just fine, rather, with letting them subscribe to this blue checkmark phenomena, which I refuse to pay. Used to be you had to earn that, right, with um, having relevant, topical, smart things to say. Now it's available for purchase. And I, I, I know friends who have paid for it. I don't begrudge you the fact if you're using it for business, I guess it makes sense. Not much. What is it, eight bucks a month? I like less bills, and I'm certainly not going to pay for something that um, I don't think does it the right way. And $8 is $8. And people get mad at me, literally mad at me. They'll send me emails and say, how dare you say Elon Musk is, is not a smart person? He's going to lead our space program into the future. I don't care about that. If you're going to be a smart person, you got to be smart all the way around. You don't get to take off the smart guy hat when you're doing other things. And, you know, I've said this statement before. I'm going to say it again. I, I wouldn't trust Elon Musk to fly us anywhere in this universe, let alone the moon or Mars. Just wouldn't. Don't trust him. There's questions he's now linked to terrorist organizations with his... Satellite company. I understand the desire to be open and transparent and allowing divergent viewpoints. That's not what this is. And I guess you could argue this point if you want to with me, and and you're welcome to text or call 855-616-1620. Do white supremacists in this country deserve a platform when they're advocating violence? against a a specific race? I would say no. Because to me, the line ends for free speech when you threaten people's lives. Just like I make a distinction with the people of Gaza and their decision to use Hamas as their representation on the world stage. You make bad choices, you get bad results. I don't... I don't wish harm on any Palestinian person. You chose this path. You decided that for whatever reason, religious, historical, terrorist-driven, you want to annihilate somebody else who has a different faith, then you live with the consequences. I know that's harsh, and that'll make some people mad. I don't care. We need more reality-based thinking. Several people have asked me to comment on the shooting in Kansas City yesterday after the uh, celebration of the Super Bowl win by the Kansas City Chiefs over the San Francisco 49ers. Um, These are always very frustrating. Somebody who led a city 
during and after a mass shooting. It, it's hard to talk about in some ways because they're, they're, they don't make sense. Somebody wakes up one day and decides they're going to try to kill or hurt other people. It's not in my DNA, and hopefully it's not in yours. Um, and then the inevitable question that comes next is, what do we do about it? Um, and my position on this has evolved, but I'm, there's a couple of declarative points that I want to make, and one of them is if you are a radio host or a radio talker, and your first response to something like this is, we don't have a mass shooting problem, or uh, it's not guns, for lack of a better term, and this is maybe a little brutal for you, shut the hell up. It's just, it's dumb. We live in a country where people have decided that they are angry, so angry that the only way they can lash out and respond is to kill people at events, right? Elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, parades, churches, synagogues, temples, movie theaters, concerts, parks, fast food restaurants, grocery stores. I mean, I could probably continue for the next five minutes. And the celebration of having the right to have a gun, much heralded, much written about, much talked about, Supreme Court cases going back into our ancient history almost. So the, to answer the question from my perspective as somebody who had to deal with this from a leader perspective, knowing many officers who had to deal with it from a job perspective, including Brian Murphy and Sam Lenda from Oak Creek, heroes of the highest caliber, personal integrity beyond what I've seen at any job, anywhere, just incredible human beings. You can talk about gun laws and, and new gun laws forever. It's not going to change anything. What we have in this country is an anger problem. And I'm going to make it a, a case here in the next couple of minutes that you may not like, but it's, it's something we need to talk about. It's related to what I've been talking about with radio in general, and, and this is on my mind because we are, for lack of a better term, starting a new venture next week at WTMJ, which is important. Setting a standard that maybe we've sort of gotten away from. In this market and other markets, it's exploded with satellite radio and certainly the talking heads on TV at night on the, on the big nets. Where our goal seems to be, as communicators, to fire up our audience, make them angry, demonize the other side, make them hate somebody because they think differently on Pick a topic, border, economy, healthcare, race, diversity. I mean, again, that list is long. And many of you have sat there over the last few decades and cheered this on. He's right. He's damn right. We, sh we need to be fired up about this. You saw it in, our, in some of our last elections in this state and elsewhere. Taking back, fight back, all these aggressive militaristic terms. Do, you, do people think when someone says something, it doesn't impact somebody? Even somebody who's ha already having struggles in life, mental health issues, or whatever, relationship issues, financial problems. Anybody think that the drumbeat of all this nonsense and noise 
under the guise of telling it like it is, telling the real story, standing up for whatever that whatever that nonsense is. You don't think there's a a liability to that kind of talk? That we don't at some point sustain the anger for so long that people explode and they do things like we saw in Kansas City yesterday? It makes perfect sense. It's not surprising. What if somebody had you in a room and they literally shouted at you nonstop for 24 hours? Poking at you, nudging at you, urging you to be angry. You don't think you would react in some in some fashion to that constant reminder that everything sucks? It's kind of like the, uh, the folks who are the doom and gloomers, as I call them. Any good economic news comes out, oh, look at this. Look how bad this is. Oh, my God, have you bought a car? We get it. Everything's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect for everybody. There's always going to be people that succeed and those that struggle. But when you constantly hammer the point that you should be angry about something, we should not be surprised when some idiot, like we saw in Kansas City yesterday, or idiots, decides they're going to use a gun to act out. There's no way you can police that. There's no gun law that's going to change that. You're not going to police a million people who are trying to celebrate a Super Bowl. It's not going to happen. You can't metal detector an entire city or a parade route. So when you debate these topics, sure, common sense gun legislation, red flag laws, sign me up. But before you get to any of that, anger management, my goodness, shouting at somebody for three hours on the radio, you don't think that anger goes somewhere? Stop. All right, I promise we're going to have more fun in the 11 o'clock hour, but that's something that had to be said, and thanks for the questions and comments on that. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, thanks to Vince Ventrano. I love how he sticks around and does the news just for me. I love that. Anytime, he said. I'll see you next week. <laughs> Vince Ventrano, our great mor- one of our great morning hosts. Where's Bill stead at? He's been gone for like three weeks. Where did he go? No, he's on vacation. Trust me. Bill Stead earns his vacations. And somebody asked me, like, where's everybody going? We're not going anywhere. I'll still be here. Nine to ten. My pod- Check out my podcast. Got some great guests coming up. Tom Tiffany, a Trump-supporting congressman from Wisconsin. Somebody said, where's all the Trump love? Well, I'm going to give it to you by talking to a supporter of Donald Trump. I can't be any more fair and balanced, a real kind of fair and balanced, than that. A texter said, you're really spouting today. I'm just passionate. We got a great partner event after the show today. I got a podcast interview that I'm going to be doing. Quick meeting before that. It's it's the dynamics of radio, man. It's changing. It's okay that radio changes. I'm going to sample it. There's been a lot of text today um, responding to me. So I'm going to, we'll, we'll do this for a little bit. Now, while we're doing this, you don't, don't call. I'll just read the text. Every Thursday for I don't know how long, a couple of years, we've given away a $30 gift card from Mindshap Restaurant. If you haven't been to Mindshap, it's fantastic. I mean, the food's great. The atmosphere's cool. Beautiful downtown Hartford. They also have an Oshkosh location that I've been to. Burgers are great. Pizzas are outstanding. Food's amazing. Staff's great. Ownership's group is amazing. One of our great partners. 
So I'm going to do it this way. And this may be the way we do it going forward. We'll, just, we'll see how that works out next week. Caller number eight. Caller number eight to 855-616-1620 wins a $30 MindChef gift card. Right now, call 855-616-1620. I'm not even asking any hard questions. Caller number eight. Ooh, look at those phone lines go. Caller number eight to 855-616-1620, a $30 MindChef gift card. Go for it. All right, from the text line, I got an interview coming up with our new uh, teammates, Jeff Sherman. That's coming up momentarily. Uh, his program, The Upswing, will debut on Monday at 10. Looking forward to that. A business hour, as they say. Uh, for, I was talking about the the shooting in the shootings in uh, Kansas City. Uh, from the 262, I think Steve's on to a larger, more general problem that media and entertainment voices and reality TV shows cultivate anger in the public in general, which then often results in subsequent violence that's dangerous and detrimental to all. I'm not the first person that says this. It needs to be said you want to shout something? Shout that. We have this country now where no one wants to take responsibility for anything. It's like, oh, I just say it, make money, that's it. I walk away, no problem. I would never approach my show. I would never work for a station that did that. Words have meaning. Words have impact. Uh, from the 262, not everybody agrees. When that, what's that old saying? When you point at someone else, you have four fingers pointing back at, you, at yourself. I assume that you're saying that I'm part of the problem. I hope not. One of the reasons we sort of re-engineered my 9 o'clock hour for next week, going forward, political power hours, I want to bring subject matter experts on. We've had lots of years, decades worth, of shouting, squawking heads. How's that working out for us? It's made some people rich. I don't begrudge that. How's that working out society-wise? Not too well. Uh, from the 262, do you honestly think you don't rile people up? I hope I rile you up in the right way. From the 262 again, I don't think this tragedy was a targeted action. It was yet another example of a very armed public full of individuals with anger management and impulse control deficiencies who used firearms without reservation or concern for others to resolve every conflict in their lives, often in public. You know, I've had this conversation away from the show. What used to be settled with fists is now settled with guns. What changed? Well, there are more guns. Not going to deny that. But the anger component is what's changed. The uh, helplessness, the desire to lash out, all those things have increased exponentially in the last few decades. I foolishly thought that Sandy Hook would be a turning point. And to be honest, that was just a uh, starting point. I still remember that day, and you should too. All right, we're going to make some make some fun on the radio with uh, our newest teammate, Jeff Sherman, who will join us after the break right here in WTMJ. Interesting song choice from uh, producer Charlie. I welcome it. I like the change. I like the difference. Joining me in studio is our one of our newest teammates. I shouldn't say the only newest teammate. Jeff Sherman joins us, new host of The Upswing, which will come right after my program, The Political Power Hour, his show, 10 to 11. Welcome. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me. So people have asked me, who's Jeff Sherman? Now, you're, you're kind of a well-known dude in some circles. But for all, all those folks in Radioland, who is Jeff Sherman? Yeah, let, let me give you the, the brief overview. Lifelong passionate Milwaukeean, 
Yes, you are that. Yes, indeed. Grew up in beautiful tree-lined Wauwatosa. Oh, Tulsa kid. Yeah, so been moving my way east ever since. I made a stop at Marquette University. Not a bad place to stop. Yeah, yeah. Marquette shaped me in a whole lot of ways. How so? One, I got there as a local kid. So many classmates from Chicagoland. Right. And I felt like I had to protect and promote my home state to them to make sure they stayed here. <laughs> and it was it was tough. Um, you know, 25, 30 years ago, of course, you know, we were a different city. But it really helped kind of forge my career path in, in many different ways. So I'm a UWM guy. Yeah. Class of 83. And um, But I've, I've gotten to know Marquette pretty well. We have some other teammates. Sandy Max went to Marquette. Yep. Um, and I've gotten to know President Mike Lovell really well because I, I, I do interviews and podcasts with him and, and all the great guests from the institution. Um, the Marquette thing is important, as is UWM, because it, it gives us that infrastructure for greatness, right? Marquette does amazing things. So does UWM. Somebody was praising the uh, chancellor of uh, UWM the, uh, in, on this morning, one of my judicial guests. There's a lot going on in this town. How is your show going to tap into some of that stuff? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm great that you mentioned that, because there's so much community building that happens in greater Milwaukee, and a lot of it comes from the colleges and universities. There's just passionate graduates. We're, all, we're, we're a college town, if you think about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And, and we build on that. So the upswing is just going to be about conversations at the intersection of community, life, and business. And I've always felt like we gotta, we have to be bigger evangelists for all the businesses and the products that are in and around our wonderful state. So I want to, I want to kind of drill down. Really love talking to entrepreneurs. So many amazing businesses that started from nothing, and now are, are you know, corporate partners, partnerships distribution across the country. So I really want to get to the heart of what entrepreneurism and community building means. I'm a big fan of Milwaukee. Um, I never lived in Milwaukee, but I've worked in Milwaukee. And I certainly we reside right downtown right now on Wisconsin Avenue between Wisconsin and Michigan. And I love the stories, right? We see businesses, CEOs deciding to move their businesses back downtown. Some great examples of that. We see a dynamic with our sports teams. We see um, two really effective local leaders, and one of them is on my podcast uh, on Friday, Mayor Johnson, Cavalier Johnson, uh, ex- County Executive David Crowley. Are those some of the people you might bring on, or who is going to be your like your typical guest? Yeah, it will be a it will, it will be a good mix. It'll be entrepreneurs, it'll be nonprofit leaders, it'll be civic leaders. Like I said, I want to talk to people that have started and founded businesses. A lot of the downtown business improvement district leaders, I met my wife. Through the oh, West Town Association, yeah. So that's my con- uh, big connection to downtown. I'm I'm also the current board president of the West Town Association. So we own and operate the night market. We do business development and economic development. So there's a lot of wonderful people that you know don't get a ton of showcase, but are doing the hard work each and every day. So people always ask me when I was starting, like, what what's your style of broadcasting? What kind of show you're going to do? And I always tell them it's evolved. I, I used to talk a lot more, and then I sort of got it to be known as, as a guest-driven show. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, there's so many wonderful, talented people here, so I've been really thankful to just take it all in. It's going to evolve and grow as we go. I got a good balance of nerves and excitement, I think, going into this, which that's healthy. is going to be great. Yeah, And that's what I want the reflection of the show to be about, taking a little bit of risk, making things happen. And having a whole lot of fun, just like Omar from Third Street Market Hall that just walked past and gave us a thumbs up. That's the thing that you know people who haven't been down here don't realize. We are literally at the edge, the west edge of the Third Street Market Hall. Um, and if you don't know what that is, it's uh, great restaurants. There's a great big uh, bar location in the middle. We're surrounded by companies and organizations. we got Grafe upstairs. 
uh, a company that I worked with on the uh, Drexel Town Square development in Oak Creek. Uh, we got MMAC upstairs. It's not just that we're downtown. We're engaged with people. People can come and sit and watch us do the show. It's kind of a great connection. Yeah, without a doubt. This is kind of the center of gravity for the entire state. I always say that downtown Milwaukee is the economic and entertainment heart, but we rely on all the other communities to make us go. And that's what I want the show to be about. I want it to be about uplifting one another because everything in Wisconsin is truly connected. It's not just about Milwaukee. It's not just about Oak Creek. You know, Rising tide lifts all boats. I know you're going to do um, a lot of great things on your new show. We have teammates like Kristen Bry is going to be her her show spanning the states. Are are you going to push out beyond the the borders of Milwaukee on your show? We are for sure. I mean, I've been lining up guests the last couple of weeks. It's going to be it's going to be Greater Milwaukee to start, but I think we're going to look all over the state. I had a call from a, a lobbyist in Green Bay today. And he has a bunch of guests for me. So it's really about connections, and it's all about community. So you've done radio as an interviewee. <laughs> have you hosted a show before anywhere? I have, Well, the last three years, I have worked for a consulting group that has the marketing contract for the downtown streetcar and hosted the Hopcast on board a moving streetcar, where we've invited community oh. leaders to have conversations about downtown Milwaukee. How's the Hop doing? The hop is is great, expanding to the lakefront uh, by April. Rick Barrett's big development, the uh, Couture, forty four mm-hmm. stories on the lakefront. It looks amazing. It really is, and that will be a transit hub. You know, I, I've been talking to people about this city because I, you know, in my other iterations and in this current one, WTMG. Now we've got listeners all over the place now, all over the country. We've got international listeners now, and they ask me about Milwaukee. So I'm going to ask you the last question about. When people ask you about the city, whether you're traveling and maybe on vacation, personal trip, whatever it is, business, um, what do you tell them about Milwaukee, the city that you're going to be working in? Yeah, I always say the easy answer is it's about the people. But for me, it's about the lack of pretense in our people and that we are constantly looking to evolve and grow. And that's what Milwaukee is all about. We've always been a community building place. And now it's kind of looking in within ourselves to make things even better. Are you pro Punchki or anti Punchki? I'm anti Punchki. I I enjoy the Punchki, um, but my, funny story. And this is on my wife's wedding ring. It says I L P. We met during kind of Lenten time. Okay, and enjoyed a Punchki together. So I shouldn't be telling the story in my first time, but I am. I love Punchki because it's a little. So there's a romantic connection wife. to it. Yeah, that, no, that's a good reason to like them. Yes. Do you remember what flavor you had? Was it the prune? <laughs> no, I'm not a prune guy. No. I'm, I'm more like raspberry. Yeah, I'm a, good choice. I like berry, yeah. blueberries. I feel like I've learned a lot about you in the last uh, eight minutes. So, well, I look forward to. We're going to always you. see each other because you come right after me. Very much so. Yes. All right, Jeff Sherman, new host, new teammate of the uh, Upswing. Is it is it uh, safe to call it a business hour? Sort of. It is, yeah. It's a biz- It's a bit of a business showcase, but it's a business and civic showcase for sure. All right. I look forward to our future conversations and that program. We'll take a quick break here. You're listening, of course, to WTMJ. I dig, Charlie. I dig. Nice song. You just let that run for like five minutes. Everybody just relax. There's that anger management I was talking about. Just chill. Chill the hell down. <laughs> My mom hates when I say hell. I just said it twice in the last 30 seconds. Shout out to my mom and dad who listen like every hour of every program I've ever done. Isn't that amazing? That's probably 
exaggerating a bit because they, they do have lives beyond just the show, but they're my loyalist of listeners. And, I, and I, I've gotten so many nice comments this week about the current version of the show. And I, I if I can quickly respond, I try to on the text line. And if you send me an email, I certainly respond. My email is steve.scafidi2fs1d at wtmj.com. I appreciate it. And it's fun that this is happening because my seven-year anniversary at TMJ is next week. So it's kind of perfect timing. Um, a quick look at our show poll. Uh, I went in the New York Congressional District vacated by George Santos, a Republican, gave Democrats one more vote in the House of Representatives. Do you believe this is a signal of a coming Democratic blue wave in November? Got almost 300 votes already. Uh, no, it's an outlier at 19%. Not sure how I feel, question mark, 21% in the winter right now with more than 50%. Yes, bloodbath for the GOP. That might be a little harsh, but I don't think it's going to be a... Uh, Warm and fuzzy election night for Republicans. Now, what could change all that if Donald Trump wins the election? Because that sort of soothes all the anger of all the down ballot races. Trump is is like uh, a disease for down ballot Republicans. He just his track record is horrible. Although he keeps saying that he's like this magic elixir, it, it's not the case. He typically, when he endorses somebody, they don't win, and the trend is not up, but it's down. Um, the interesting thing about this race, and I'm, I'm going to take a break and then shift gears, um, to an interesting topic about biometric scanning. Is that the ID card of the future? And the answer is probably yes. And I know some of you aren't going to like that, so we'll, we'll give you some details. Read story in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, just a quick wrap on politics. We're going to spend on this station, other stations, networks, a lot of time talking about the 2024 election. Um, and that's sort of... I know people say, I don't care about that. I vote on in November. All the rest is noise. And that's probably, let's be honest, healthy. But if you want to be informed, you got to pay attention. And um, there's a lot of good ways to do that. I hope that you will find that in, in what I'm doing starting next week in the 9 o'clock hour or what Jeff Sherman is doing or Kristen Bry or Greg Matzik or John McCure or, or Vince and Eric. A lot of good content. And I think the the story of the transition, the change, is that we are – Sort of going back to our roots to be the station of information, not opinion, but information. Now, I know that in this current climate of anger, we, I shouldn't say we, some people look at opinion as news or fact. It's not. They're more comfortable with that, and that's how they settle into their viewing and listening. But that, in reality, that, that dumbs us down. It makes us more angry. And I, I think that in, in our small way here at WTMJ, and we are not small, trust me, we are a, uh, a big stick in a great state, and I think that's the opportunity. So uh, thanks for the kind words. All right, we're going to take a break. After the break, we're going to talk about biometric scanning. What is that? I'll tell you what it is, what it can do, and I will tell you, I'm all in. If you tell me, because I'm already, I travel lights. I don't carry cash. I like cashless. I like to... Make things quick. When I come back from an international trip, I have global entry. I'm through that thing in like a, less than a minute. I'm not waiting that long line. I choose to accept technology and use it to my benefit. I'm not afraid of technology. And that's what biometrics is, and especially the ability of biometric scanning to make our lives easier. Are you going to buy in? We'll discuss after this on WTMJ. Happy Thursday, everybody. Picture this. You walk into a store, a bank. 
doctor's office. Your face is scanned. If you're talking to the uh, the person that you're checking in with, your uh, style of speaking is analyzed. The words you choose as you speak, your actual voice, your eyes, your face, that becomes your sort of security key, right? That's you, uniquely you, all those factors, biometrics. You arrive, parking lot, your location is fed into a system from your phone. We already have that, basically, because they can track you wherever you go with your phone. But the cool part for me is this, and I'm curious what you think, 855-616-1620, the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. What if it went further than that? Let's say a home system where, and this is probably already being utilized in some very high-end homes across this great country, where once that scan takes place of you entering your residence on the outside, door opens, unlocks, turns on the lights, that, that's already that capability is already out there. Unlocks your computer. May uh, do many things. Would eliminate the need for keys, hard keys, card keys, passwords, password resets. It's you. It's uniquely you. Experts on biometrics say there's only one you. When you look at all of those different things, your voice, your eyes, your face, style of speaking, words you use. All of those components, you and only you have access. Now, the concerns have always been, well, I don't want them knowing all that stuff. I don't want to be scanned. I, don't want to, I just want to show my ID and walk in the door. I guess I'm curious why you would prefer that. Here's a great example. You lose your wallet. It's a hassle to go get a new driver's license and all the IDs and all the cards. If you don't need that, why would you want to put yourself through that? I understand that there's an argument for for cashless or not cashless, right? Some people love cash. They don't want to be tracked. They don't want their credit card purchases monitored. But as this technology unfolds, we're seeing it in airports, stadiums, concert venues. I can imagine a time when the Green Bay Packers recognize their season ticket holders, their shareholders, just by those biometrics. And we are not treated like somebody's going to their first game at Lambeau, but somebody who's been there before because of our history. And just a note, I'm not saying the Packers are going to do this, so don't call the Green Bay Packers. This is me saying this. Raise your hand if you remember the movie Minority Report. Tom Cruise, brilliant movie about the crime in the future. Pre-crime, right? Knowing that a crime is going to take place, a killing is going to take place before it happens, they send out Tom Cruise, in that case, or other police officers to stop the crime from happening, and then you, you take the person who hasn't even committed the crime yet, and you institutionalize them. In the movie, Tom Cruise basically at some point, because he becomes the, the hunted instead of the hunter, has to have an eyeball put in to get into get access to some of the places he needs to go to solve the crime. Stronger protection, better security than any key card or password can ever provide because you can copy a password, you can steal a password. I would think for a bank, I don't want someone access, accessing my account if, if they aren't supposed to. 855-616-1620, the uh, WTMJ 
talking text line. And as I said, this is being utilized already. And I, I'm surprised, and some will correct me if I'm wrong. For example, I just got a new laptop, an IBM laptop. And instead of a password, I use a num- numerical code. Why not? You already have a little camera in there. Facial recognition. Maybe an option. I'm not sure what all the computer companies are doing. That seems to be preferable because then only I can open up my computer. It's unique to me. So it prevents hacking, which is a huge problem for companies and organizations. Why? Stolen passwords. There's not a week goes by in this company, GKB, where we're not told about security risks. We're not encouraged to take additional training once a month. Three new classes. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Frankly, if somebody's falling victim, we should do more of that. But places like Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, they're all looking to move forward on this stuff. All right, I'm going to look at the text line, and I welcome your calls, 855-616-1620. Are you ready to embrace biometrics as a alternative to keys and key cards IDs, I say yes. What say you? That's next. There was a movie, Minority Reports, one of many movies that show the uh, changing technology of identification, passwords in our uh, current culture and the culture of the future. Damon joins the conversation from the city of Chicago. Hey, Damon. Hey, hello. Hi, Steve. I really enjoy your show. But let me tell you, on the biometrics end, uh, I was in South Korea. And, of course, they want to see your passport as you enter the country right at the airport. Mm -hmm. However, what they do, there's a small plastic box, and you're told to look directly into it. Because like our fingerprints, the uh, your eyes, the irises, or the area around your eye is um, unique to individuals. And so they have you look at that so they know who you are. And at the same time, you put your thumbs in the bottom corner of the plastic box so they identify you directly, biometrically, uh, with your eyes and with your thumbprints. Did any of that bother you? The country. Did any of that bother you? Uh, well, no, and here's why. Because um, it's, it's uh, safety, right? Mm-hmm. And so if that safety is being applied uh, to everybody, then I'm safer as well. I appreciate the comments, Damon Call from Chicago. I, I can confirm that because I was traveling. I, I've been on a lot of international trips in the last few years. Um, I, I can't remember if it was it was Rome or one of the uh, German airports uh, where they did a similar thing. It was more facial than, than fingerprints, but I, I know I've been fingerprinted in an airport um, as part of the you know, moving through the airport process. No, this isn't perfect either. There's mistaken identities because someone has to process data. Even, you know, high-tech systems can make errors. And I, you know, one of the texts that I got make, makes a pretty good point. If an error is made and someone else has your, for whatever reason, your biometric ID now is assigned to them and not you, we all know how, how much of a hassle it is to get a new credit card or whatever you're talking about. I mean, it's not as much as bad as it used to be, but you know what I'm talking about. Imagine how difficult it might be to go chase down a new biometric ID and to make sure that someone else doesn't have access. You know, I think where you're going to see a lot more of this also 
is healthcare. Instant recognition, if someone's entering a facility that has a, let's just pick something, communicable disease of whatever sort, there could be at some point, whether it's high temperature, because anybody who's had their temperature taken recently knows that's pretty quick, right? Put something on your forehead, boom, here's your temperature. 98.6 or whatever yours is. That's coming. It's not just security. It's health care. A lot of different applications. Uh, Ray from Fond du Lac. Hey, Ray, welcome to the show. Hey, uh, we just got back from a cruise. Uh, we took last week on Sunday. We got back. And when you're leaving the cruise, we had been to other countries, Cuba, Carousel, that kind of thing. When we came back and we had to go through customs, they asked how you were coming back through, whether it was with ID or your passport. We said passport. All you had to do was walk up to a screen hmm. that scanned your face. You didn't even have to get your passport out. It literally already had your passport on file, and it just screened your face, and they let you through. Where was the location that that, that actually happened? Miami. Miami Airport. Was the airport? No, the cruise. cruise oh, uh, the cruise stopped there? Yeah, okay. Gotcha. The, yeah, yeah, the customs. Uh, cruise, when you come back and you go to different countries, they make you go through customs. The customs was literally just a face scanner. That's all it was. So let me ask you, you the same. You have to get out your passport. Let me ask you the same question I asked the last caller. Did that bother you? No, not at all. In fact, I found it to be quite convenient. I didn't, uh, I'll be honest with you, my wife got off before me. And she actually had my passport. <laughs> I was kind of worried. <laughs> Who is this dude? And I walked up, and they scanned my face and said a little green check matched, and I got to go through. I'm glad you're back. Thanks for the call, Ray. I mean, there's real life, real time, right? I have zero problem with this. I, again, I'm a global entry guy. I listened to Rose Gray on Fox World Travel Show on Saturday mornings. Why would you want to complicate everything? I don't See, I don't live in fear of all this stuff. Is it perfect? No. Everyone at some point gets their password stolen, but if we have a way to sort of make that less likely, which sounds like some of this might be the answer to it, not all, because nothing's perfect, I'm going to sign up. And there's, and there's entire industries now that it's called the fast identity online industry that looks at these top-of-the-line high-tech digital security standards. Sign me up. 